Friday. The hardcore music. We got hardcore guests coming up. Yes, hey. Now time for Peter Galindo. Galindo, Galindo. You are listening to the Halford and Brough Show on Sportsnet 650. Peter Galindo, our soccer insider, is going to join us in just a moment here. Uh, hour two. We're in hour two of this program. Hour two is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling, Vancouver's premier metal recycler. Pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. Uh, this entire program, the whole thing, is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Uh, we, the collective we, which today is just myself, A-Dog, and Laddie. The royal we? No bruff in the royal we. He's still on vacation. Last day, though, he's coming back this weekend. Uh, we are all coming to you live from the Kintec studio. Kintec Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. I say the royal we because when Bruff's not here, the dogs become a vitally important part of the show, more so than usual. In fact, Greg... Good save. Good save. Greg, for instance, we were talking about pizza last... It's Ask Us Anything Friday. Of course, we're talking about pizza last hour. And Greg said, I believe that the uh, Hawaiian pizza, that, of course, the ham and pineapple, wasn't actually invented in Hawaii. It was invented in Canada. Canada. You And then we didn't know where. All the way up here in Canada. Kudos to you, because it's Friday. We also well, Texter actually texted it in. Yeah, take credit for it, Craig. <laughs> Tell them what you learned about the origin story of the Hawaiian pizza. Well, thanks for the texter for texting in. It was, it's from Chatham, Ontario, where I've been many times. And what has come out of Chatham? There are, what was it, three main exports? Uh-huh. Hawaiian pizza, yeah. Fergie Jenkins, uh-huh. and my uncle. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's all I know about Chatham. There's actually a big billboard that lists it like that. It's, uh, it's close to Windsor, Ontario. It's by the border near Detroit. Well, that's, we're, that's all you need to know. About we're that. going to Ontario right now because Peter Galindo joins us on the program here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Morning, Peter. How are you? I'm good. This pizza talk reminds me that we're doing AJ's visit the next time I'm in town, which is in a couple of weeks, actually. So I'm gonna I'm, to I'm gonna tell everybody this was not planned. We did just speak about AJ's in the previous segment. You came on oh, apropos of not knowing. No one listens to this show, let alone Peter. He did not know that we were talking about AJ's prior to. This is how good this place is, everybody. That is a good example of it. Okay, Peter, I want to get to this game tonight. Canada will face Jamaica in Kingston this afternoon, actually. Four o'clock start Pacific time. A very crucial CONCACAF Nations League quarterfinal. Basically, if you win, you qualify for the 2024 Copa America tournament, which is one of the biggest tournaments in the world. Canada wants to be a part of it. This marks the first time that Canada is going to play Jamaica since that famous 4 nothing win, which saw them clinch qualification to the 2022 World Cup. Uh, Canada has almost all of its stars in the mix here, Peter. Davies, David, Laren, Eustachio, Kone, Buchanan. So big picture, big question. Just based on that alone, are the Canadians expected to win this two-legged quarterfinal? I mean, if you look at the bookmakers and you just even talk to the average fan, I think just slightly, yes, they are. But you look at that Jamaica squad now, especially over the last, pretty much over the last four months, I'd say dating back to the start of the Gold Cup, they have slowly but surely established a really good core of players, mainly through their recruitment of dual nationals. And it goes outside of the likes of Mikhail Antonio and Damari Gray. They've even got 
some players in from the championship like Daniel Johnson, Joel uh, Latabodier, who's probably going to start in midfield right. for them. Um, Deshaun Bernard, Greg Lee, um, lots of other defenders as well that they brought in to really shore up their fullback depth. So it's, it's not like they're going to be coming in here in a similar situation like we saw in March 2022, where they maybe have one or two guys, like Leon Bailey, for example, and oddly, Ravel Morrison as well. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, they're actually going to come in here with a solid group of players. Now, is their depth up to the standard of Canada's when you look at the chemistry, when you look at all those other intangibles? Probably not, but 11 for 11, especially given the differing forms of some of the attacking players, uh, they're definitely going to give Canada a, a bit of a test here. The first leg might be a bit uh, might be a bit drab. It may not be an oil painting given the amount of rain that's expected to hmm. to fall over the next 24 hours. But that second leg could be quite intriguing given that. Yeah. So just to put it out there, so everybody knows, the Canadian men haven't won a soccer match in Jamaica in 35 years and you get all the sort of classic CONCACAF cliches when you talk about going to Kingston to play that it's going to be chaotic uh, the rain that you're speaking of was a new wrinkle I wasn't aware of that but uh, I was reading a Canadian press article the other day and it said that in the first of these two legs and the second one goes Tuesday in Toronto but in the first leg in Jamaica Canada quote needs to manage the chaos in its showdown with the Jamaicans so given everything we've said how chaotic is the atmosphere going to be in Kingston today? Yeah, I imagine it's going to be even with the rain that's expected because they're expecting not, not hurricane-like conditions, but rain that's that's going to be kind of out of the ordinary. I think they're expecting like 43 millimeters over the course of, I think it was pretty much since yesterday night leading into tonight, which is quite a lot. And that pitch at the best of times isn't very good. I think we found that out when these two teams played each other in October of 2021 and that one finished nil nil. So throw rain into it, especially that much rain. Um, it's, it's probably going to in a way benefit Canada because given the problems they've had defensively and maybe the fact that not all of their players are completely in sync yet because they had that four-month break from the Nations League final leading into that Japan game. They only had the one match to prepare. Now they're coming back in again in what is a do-or-die scenario. That could probably benefit them. It could take the excitement out of the match, and they can come back to to BMO Field with potentially a nil-nil draw. I think they'd absolutely take that for sure, um, especially given the fact that when you look at how Jamaica really – I think can exploit not just Canada, but also a lot of their recent opponents. They like to build up through that right-hand side, which is going to be Fonzie's side. You imagine if he ends up starting, which certainly he will. Um, they are a threat on attacking set pieces. I think they posted something like 0.35 XG per 90 off of um, attacking set pieces. And we saw what happened when the U.S. kind of had their way with Canada on set pieces in that Nations League final, so that could be something mm -hmm. to watch for. Um, but I, I imagine that they're just going to try to keep it tight, keep it compact, and try to see out a result here. So, it, it, again, it won't be an oil painting, um, but I think if you're a Canadian fan, you'll take that given um, maybe the state of flux the team's in right now. Uh, we mentioned what's at stake here, and the stakes are pretty high if Canada wants to qualify for Copa America. Uh, and they're going to do it with interim manager Mauro Biello at the helm. This is going to be the biggest test that he's had as the interim gaffer. What are the biggest challenges facing Biello going into this two legs? Yeah, I think it's just the fact that 
you know, you're dealing with a situation where I, I feel like it's kind of a, a lose-lose in that, okay, you beat Jamaica, you qualify for Copa America, you get to another Nations League semifinal with a group that, you know, has a lot of familiarity together. And it's like, well, you were kind of supposed to do that anyway. That's sort of the minimum expectation. You don't do it and it's disaster, right? Because you then have to go into a playoff. You don't get a chance to fight for a trophy in March. Um, so I, I, there really is a lot on the line, but in, in a way, this is really the job interview that Morrow needs to, I think, solidify his case that, listen, given the circumstances, given the fact that I'm, I'm an interim coach and we don't have a general secretary, there's maybe a little bit of uncertainty surrounding the current situation of the Federation, which I'm sure is affecting the players. Um, you know, if I can get us through this situation against a very solid team, probably the fastest rising team in CONCACAF, then what could I do if I'm given the job permanently and I'm allowed a little bit more security and freedom to maybe mold the squad as I wish? Because a big reason why he called up a lot of veterans, I would imagine, having been in that environment, is when you don't have a lot of time to train together and you're traveling to different countries in between and all that, um, better to go with a group of players who already understand what they're going to be asked to do mm. and who have that chemistry together. And look, obviously that Japan game did not go well, but given all the scenarios that were surrounding the game, all the travel, the jet lag, how good Japan was, um, and the four month layoff between games for a lot of those players, I don't think you're going to see as many issues in this Jamaica game, but it's still going to be incredibly close for sure. We're speaking to soccer analyst Peter Galindo here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Uh, I do want to follow up on that point about the old guard sort of being brought back for another kick at the can for Canada. But uh, before we do that, I want to ask a question that's related to it. I think we'll set it up nicely. Do you expect Milian Borian to be in net for Canada tonight or over both legs? Yeah, I imagine he will be just because of how Morrow's been speaking in the, in the media. Um, and I know that that's going to ruffle a lot of feathers because, look, when you look at, especially since the World Cup, his form in general, um, look, it, it, it isn't going to be up to snuff. And then when you compare it to what Dane St. Clair was able to do, maybe not so much in the Cuba game because, of course, he was culpable for one of the penalties that were conceded. But that USA game, I mean, he made a couple of unbelievable saves that kept Canada in the match and he maybe didn't show it entirely in that gold cup, but with the ball at his feet, he is very good in those scenarios. Whereas Milan, I feel like that's been probably one of his weak points over his career. Um, no doubt about it. He was a great shot stopper in world cup qualifying, especially, I think he saved like five goals above expected or something like that during the Ocho. Um, so clearly he got the job done there, but look, whether it's advancing age, whether it's maybe, you know, him changing teams and, and possibly accepting, all right, I'm, I'm maybe lowering myself in terms of competitions here. doesn't seem as agile anymore. And, and one or two of the goals where you maybe would have expected him to save in the past are suddenly going by him a bit more easily. Um, so it, it, it's going to be something to monitor here, especially given the quality of attackers that he's going to be going up against. So, uh, you know, when this roster got released for the two legs against Jamaica, a lot of people either on my timeline or in the various like WhatsApp groups and text threads that I'm on were complaining about going with a lot of the old guards, specifically like why does Lucas Cavallini need to be there? Are we really not moving on from Steven Vittoria yet? Why is Borean still in net? 
guys that had been a part of World Cup qualifying that maybe need to be turned over so a younger generation can get some much-needed uh, international experience. I'm sure you heard those criticisms as well. Are those valid criticisms going into what is a very important two games against or two matches against Jamaica? Yeah, this is going to make for great radio, but I honestly see both sides Ah, um, in terms of the frustration of the fans (laughs) and then in terms of maybe where morals coming from. Because, okay, I I look at that Japan game, right? And you only have one match to prepare. Um, But look, the scenario turned out the way it did. You go 4-0 down pretty much within about 45, 50 minutes. Um, At that point, the game is lost. You know that pretty much all semblance of, of... I guess, uh, you know, realistic game scenarios right. go out the window, right? You call up a Luke Defuja role who clearly is highly touted by Fulham. He's a young 18-year-old center back, and Lord knows Canada needs center backs, right? Um, he ends up getting his full debut in the League Cup for Fulham against Ipswich Town, a solid championship side, a team that's pro- challenging for promotion, albeit they made 11 changes, in that game because they're fighting for promotion and that's what they're prioritizing. But regardless, a team that is among the elite in the second division in England. And he looked not only not out of place, but very comfortable in a lot of scenarios, good with the ball at his feet. Hmm. And you wonder why he didn't get in for even 20 minutes just to have a run out to show, Hey, listen, Luke, we, we value you. You've clearly been training well. And by all accounts, from what I've heard, he did train well and impress a lot of people in that Japan camp. Here's a a show of faith. Um, I can see why people might have an issue with that. But when you look at what the scenario is now, you're facing two legs against Jamaica who have a Premier League caliber front four. I understand Damari Gray is now in Saudi Arabia, but Mm -hmm. up until very recently was a Premier League starter, right? And you have a team that 11 for 11 in, in a lot of areas, maybe not so much the midfield, potentially not center back, but out wide, your forward group, what have you, they might have an advantage. And you can't really afford to, I, I think, play with fire a little bit here in terms of experimentation, at least with the squad selection particularly, because when you only have essentially three or four sessions to prepare for the first leg and then maybe one if you're lucky two sessions between the first leg and the second leg, um, better to go with players who have familiarity with the system because you're probably not going to shake things up too much because you just don't have the time and players who are going to have that chemistry together. Cause that's maybe one thing that Jamaica doesn't quite have yet is that big game experience right. with this collective group, whereas Canada does. And sure, maybe their form doesn't favor them, Um, but maybe just to kind of go back, like I remember at the gold cup, we called up seven uncapped players to that group. Four of them were first time call-ups. The other three had only received their first call up in March. That was Victor Loturi, Dom Zator and Tom McGill. Right. They came back for the gold cup and that group was a collection of regular call-ups, occasional call-ups and newbies. And it probably took, I would say up until that Cuba game and that USA game for everybody to get on the same page because players adapt to the setting at different times, even just getting comfortable with everybody off the pitch and kind of, you know, being able to just walk up to the lunch table and just sitting down and, you know, shooting the, you know, what with whoever it is on the squad, it took time for some players to, to adapt to that. 
Um, so that's another reason why you maybe don't rock the boat a bit too much. And to Morrow's credit, he did bring back Luke Defouche role. He brought back Ali Ahmed, which is well-deserved, and he's mm-hmm. probably going to be in contention to start one of these two legs, to be honest. And Jason Russell-Rowe is back to replace the injured Lucas Cavallini. And this is kind of what John did in March when he called up Dom, Victor, and Tom to the squad in terms of like, look, you guys might not see the pitch, but we see how well you're doing. We want to reward that. And maybe if you train well and, and you end up doing your thing at, at club level, maybe the next time you get called up, you end up getting an opportunity. And eventually guys like Victor Loturi did and Kyle Hebert did um, in that Honduras game in March. Mm-hmm. So he is kind of doing that. And it's something that I feel is going to be a very testy situation over the next several months because let's say Canada does qualify, right? Let's say they get into Copa America. Well, then you have a Nations League semifinal and potentially a final in March. So that means you're probably going to rely on the veterans again. Mm -hmm. Come June and July, you got Copa America. If you're lucky, you might have one friendly before the tournament where you can maybe experiment a little bit tactically at least. Um, But you might be looking at next autumn as the next window where you might be able to make wholesale changes to the squad, which, look, for a lot of fans is going to rub them the wrong way. Completely understand that. But given the state the Federation is in and where the men's national team is in, I I can also completely understand why Morrow went the direction he went in, just based on what I saw from the inside, if if only that. Uh, It is Canada. It is Jamaica from Kingston. Four o'clock kickoff our time. A very important two legs. The first one in Jamaica, the second one in Toronto on Tuesday. Peter, thanks a lot for doing this today, man. Awesome insight as always. Uh, Enjoy the matches. We'll do this again real soon. We will, and I'll hit you up for that AJ's when I'm in town at the end of the month. Yep, it's by, it's on, buddy. Thanks, Peter. Appreciate it. <laughs> no P- worries. Peter Galindo, uh, soccer analyst, former scout with the Canadian men's national team, here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Football of the European variety. We now transition to football of the North American variety. Last night, Thursday Night Football, we haven't even had a chance to mention this yet. Lamar Jackson threw a pair of touchdown passes in the second quarter to help the Baltimore Ravens beat the Cincinnati Bengals 34-20 to on Thursday Night Football. This was a big, highly publicized matchup. It was two classic AFC North rivals, teams that are both bidding for playoff contention. You've got star power on display with Jackson and Joe Burrow, but the story of the night ended up being health or the collective lack thereof. If you missed it, the big news out of Cincinnati is that Joe Burrow exited this game game midway through after suffering uh, a wrist injury. It looked as though the injury was initially suffered on a tackle, but it really came to light when uh, Burrow threw a touchdown pass to Joe Mixon in the second quarter. If you watched the broadcast live, as soon as the ball left Burrow's hand, he started writhing and screaming in pain. Something was up with his throwing wrist. Burrow then went into the team's medical tent for a few minutes, returned to the sideline. There, the cameras caught another must-see moment as he attempted to lightly toss the ball on the sideline. Burrow kept dropping it. He couldn't even get it out of his hand in a proper throwing motion. And then in one instance, Burrow tried to throw and drop to his knees in pain before gathering himself, trying to make another attempt. It was a very jarring visual, to be honest, because it looked as though the guy was in a tremendous amount of pain and eventually looked at the trainers, shook his head in the negative, dropped a very loud F-bomb, and then walked off and did not return. He later returned on the sidelines with a toque. So 
No idea what this means for the future of Joe Burrow, but it did not look like a good injury. For the Baltimore Ravens, who moved to 8-3 and three on the year, they also suffered a massive injury blow. Their star tight end, Mark Andrews, done for the year with an ankle injury. Three-time pro bowler. He was an all-pro in 2021. One of Lamar Jackson's favorite targets. He's now out for the year after suffering that ankle injury in the first quarter. So a game in which, uh, I'm not going to lie, I was excited to watch. And I was watching, didn't live up to the competitive billing in large part because Joe Burrow had to go out and Jake Browning had to come in. And that was not pretty. It was also the fact that you had the biggest story being two very, very significant injuries, which is kind of a bummer. Okay, are we, you know, we were going to do lock of the week here. I'm going to switch it up a little bit because we're going to run out of time. We're going to do lock of the week on the other side of the break. Um, This is a big week and weekend coming up for primetime games. Sunday, I'm not going to lie, the slate is not great. Monday night, we have the Super Bowl rematch between the Kansas City Chiefs and the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, Thursday night football, which, of course, is American Thanksgiving, we have another terrific night game. That, of course, between the Seattle Seahawks and the San Francisco 49ers. Uh, So I'm going to tease a little bit right now. My lock of the week is going to have to do with the aforementioned Chiefs and Eagles game. Uh, We'll get to a little bit more insight and everything else regarding what happened last night in the world of sports. We'll dive back into the Dunbar Lumber text message in basket. Uh, We'll read some Ask Us Anythings and what we learned. Moj is going to join us at 7.30 for some football talk and... We're going to do some Grey Cup talk as well. And then in the 8 o'clock hour, more Canucks talk coming your way. Rick Dollywell is going to join us. We'll talk about everything that happened uh, last night in Calgary. He's got updates on Andre Kuzmenko, Chris Tanev, uh, Nikita Zadorov, Elias Pettersson contract talk as well. So we've got a lot of Canucks talk in the final hour of this show. We're also going to do Ask Us Anythings and What We Learns. If you want to weigh in and be a part of the show and give us a WWL or AUA, put a hashtag on it. Text to the Dunbar Lumber text line at 650-650. So Moj at 730, Dolly at 8, and the lone lock of the week from me, Mike Halford. That's coming up next on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. The most opinionated Canucks show out there. Canucks Talk with Jamie Dodd and Thomas Drans. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's the Moach. It's the Moach. It's the Moach. Seven thirty on a Friday. It's the Moach. I didn't see this coming. I didn't know we were doing this. I'm proud of you both. It's the Moj. They're freestyling this, by the way. Yeah, this is all live. We are going to make this the Moj song, though. As soon as Laddie showed it to me, I was like, yep, that's the one. We found it. So there'll be actual production next time. But it just screams. A little menacing. Sounds like the Goosebumps theme. Remember that cartoon? It's the Moj. There you go. See? It's stuck in your head already. It does have a certain catchiness to it. Now it's the Moj. It's dark and brooding. Just like Moj. As opposed to Moj, who is bald and gregarious. But, uh, I, you know what? Everybody, the thing is now, is that with all these theme songs that we've got, the regulars, they kind of feel left out if they don't have one. Yeah, I know. I've had a couple complaints. Yeah. 
<laughs> so is this Mo- like one of the last Moj hits? Too? Not a freaking have- jukebox. Nah, Moj, Moj is here forever. All right. You are kind of a freaking jukebox. I guess Just that's a little true. bit. Okay. Uh, I promise to- it will be better than when we actually produce it. That was so, little, oh, that was, okay, you're not going to do it like that every time? Well, I don't know. That was, that was literally I'll, just us freestyling on the fly, being like, hey, this sounds cool. Uh, so we're going to actually make that into his theme song. Okay, quick reset here. If you want to weigh in on the potential Moj theme song, thoughts, ideas, creative, constructive criticisms, uh, Dunbar Lumber text line is 650-650. You are listening to Sportsnet 650. Halford and Bruff show. No Bruff, it's just Halford. Halford and Bruff in the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are in hour two of the program. Program. Moj is going to join us in a moment. I'm going to do locks of the week in a second. But before I do any of that, I need to tell you that our two of this program is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling. They recycle. You get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. Pause. Two, three, four. Are we ready, gentlemen, to do our lock of the week. Yes, we are. Lock of the week is presented by Play Now Sports. Betting on the NFL this weekend, if you are, dollar free bet when you make a same-game parlay wager of $25 or more on NFL games at playnow.com. Visit playnow.com forward slash NFLSGP to learn more. Conditions do apply, and you must be 19-plus to play. A reminder, if you gamble, use your game sense. Uh, my lock of the week if you thought I was going to do any other game than Monday Night Football, you were nuts. It is very clearly the game of the weekend. Yeah, we got to wait an extra night, but it will be worth it. On Monday night, we get a Super Bowl rematch between the 8-1 and one atop the NFC, Philadelphia Eagles, and the team that beat them in the aforementioned Super Bowl, the 7-2 and two Kansas City Chiefs. The Chiefs were in first place in the AFC until Baltimore screwed it up last night. No matter. This game is going to be at Arrowhead in Kansas City. The Chiefs are two-and-a-half-point home favorites. If you are expecting in-depth football analysis on why I'm making the pick that I will, you're in the wrong spot. Here's the situation. This game is also not just a Super Bowl rematch. It's a Kelsey Bowl rematch. Yes, that's right. Travis and the Chiefs take on Jason, his brother, and the Eagles. Now, here's the big betting wild card for all of this. Taylor Swift isn't just going to be in attendance for this one, but according to hours of research I did on the Entertainment Tonight website, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey are taking the next step in their relationship. It's a love story that could bridge the divide between the Eagles and the Chiefs because... Travis Kelsey's parents and Taylor Swift's parents are supposed to meet at Monday Night Football. That is huge. I know Jason Kelsey is kind of involved in all of this, but let's be real. This is about Travis and this is about Taylor. And if you think that I'm betting against the Taylor Swift effect, you're insane. Taylor Swift defies all betting logic, all reason, all algorithms. You just got to go with the good vibes on this one. Parents meeting on Monday Night Football in Kansas City. With that, I confidently state, take the Chiefs minus two and a half at home against the Eagles on Monday Night Football. Lock it up. Lock it away. Experience the thrill of every pass, every touchdown, every win this NFL season with Play Now Sports. BC's safe and secure betting site. You must be 19 plus to play. And if you gamble, use your game sense. What do you think of my pick, guys? Huh? 
playing thought, that. Is Taylor Swift content hot right now? I thought you were going to say that Taylor Swift was going to sing the anthem because that would have that would have changed the betting line. Could you head. imagine if the Chiefs make the Super Bowl, which is totally within the realm of possibility? I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but they made it there last year, and then they somehow managed to get Taylor Swift to sing the national anthem, and then like maybe her and Travis Kelsey have a a moment right before that would shatter. All sorts of viewership records. It would the internet like, would break. It sure. would yeah. literally snap in half. So anyway, but now the unfortunate thing is that we got to wait until Monday to see this game. Sunday's NFL slate. I'm not going to lie. I went through the games. It's not the greatest. It's really this entire week is set up for Monday night football, which is kind of understandable. However, that doesn't mean there's any lack of football that's going on this weekend, including the Great Cup. I know locally there is a sense of disappointment that the British Columbia Lions will not be involved in the Great Cup, but it's still going to be an interesting game. You've got a massive, massive disparity between favorite and underdog here. A lot of people expected Winnipeg to be in the Great Cup. I don't think a lot of people expected Montreal to be the other team there, but they are. So joining us now to break it all down, uh, he joins us every Friday on this show, Bob the Moj Marjanovic here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. What up, Moj? Man, oh man, this show sounds so much better this morning, but I just can't put my thumb on it. I don't know why. Who's to say, really? I mean, there is one dulcet tone coming at you consistently and repeatedly, <laughs> and that's me. Uh, did you, I don't know, we have, I actually, ha- I never usually have a, a guest host when Bruff goes away. But uh, Jamie Dodd filled in for the last couple of days, and everyone mm-hmm. said, wow, you might want to consider a switch here, Halford. Uh, so <laughs> we'll see how that goes moving forward. Hey, Moj, um, before we get to the actual Super Bowl, we got to look back because another Lions season comes to an end again at the hands of Winnipeg. I was doing a bunch of reading and research uh, about this being – and a lot of writers put it this way. This is the lone and final hurdle that this franchise, the BC Lions, that is, needs to overcome to become a Grey Cup champion. Is it that fair and simple an assessment that the one thing that the Lions need to do is figure out how to get past Winnipeg? Well, yes and no. Uh, I mean, Winnipeg right now is the standard. I mean, next year, next season, who knows what happens. But I think what the Lions need to do get by Winnipeg would also come into play whether it was uh, another really good team that they had to face next year. And who knows? I mean, whether it be Toronto, whether it be Calgary, Edmonton, I, I don't know who emerges next year if Winnipeg falters, but that is the fact they have to get more physical. And, you know, the, the Lions have talked about it. I've talked to people within the organization about it. Um, they just have to be more physical. And what does that mean? Well, probably means getting a stout um, defensive tackle, someone to play that one technique between the center and the guard. I mean, Josh Banks is good, but I mean, they still need more than that, right? Um, also, probably uh, another offensive lineman. Left guard was an area of concern all season long, so probably an impact O-lineman, preferably preferably a left guard, and preferably a impact defensive lineman. I think that's the two curious that the Lions have to focus on. And, you know, they might also look at maybe adding a more physical running back than Smoke Mizell. So, if that's my wish list for the Lions, those three things would be at the top of the list. Uh, speaking of impact defensive lineman, Matthew Betts last night named the CFL's Defensive Player of the Year. What does the future have in store for him? Well, that's an interesting question because Matthew Betts is a free agent. And I think the Lions can compete can compete financially um, with anything that the Montreal Alouettes throw at Matthew Betts. Chris you Brown. know that the Alouettes will go hard after the hometown product. 
Um, the concern that you have from the Lions perspective is you can't match what the Alouettes would probably throw in terms of perks. And that is, you know, local sponsorship deals, who knows, maybe his own radio show. I, I don't know, but I mean, there's so many things that are, that are available to bets in Montreal with the Alouettes and being a hometown star and being a Quebecois that um, the Lions just might not be able to compete with that when it's all said and done. Now, Betts has come out and said he loves BC. He loves Vancouver. Um, his significant other loves Vancouver and loves BC. So, does that come into play? Hopefully it does. Uh, but like I said, there's a lot of concern about the Montreal Alouettes coming in and potentially signing Matthew Betts. What about the National Football League? Because, I mean, 18 sacks is a lot, and he had a very effective year. He also has some experience there. He didn't go drafted in 2019, but then he got signed as an undrafted free agent by the Bears and spent some time with them. So there is a history there. Do you think at 28 that the NFL might come calling, or is Matthew Betts' future pretty much in the CFL? Yeah, it's pretty much in the CFL. I mean, you know, he might, if he wanted to, he might get a workout or two, but um, at the age of 28, it's extremely difficult to go down there as an undrafted. It's difficult enough as an undrafted free agent to try to gain a roster spot in the National Football League to do it at the age of 28. Um, yeah, I just uh, wouldn't like his chances. We're speaking to Bob the Moj Marjanovic here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Moj is a presentation of the West Coast Auto Group. Great service, great selection just over the bridge in Maple Ridge. Moj, what can you tell us about the injuries that Keon Hatcher and TJ Lee suffered in that season-ending loss in Winnipeg? Well, both of them suffered Achilles injuries. Now, the last that I heard, and of course we've been in Hamilton here since Tuesday, but when talked to the Lions personnel on Monday, uh, Neil McAvoy and head coach Rick Campbell, and, you know, maybe it's something actually that I'll ask, I'll ask Rick because he is here, as is Neil. Um, but they had to see what the evaluation process was going to come up with in terms of Lee and Hatcher, in terms of those Achilles, whether they needed surgery or not, either or. I mean, it's going to be a long, long way back for both of them. And there's a big impact there because a lot of people thought that Lucky Whitehead probably would be gone after this season. But if you're not getting Keon Hatcher back until – who knows, October or November, um, maybe there's a way that the Lions re-sign Lucky Whitehead. And as far as the secondary is concerned, it's the same thing. I mean, it's a big impact in terms of how they're going to maneuver their roster in the offseason because both of these guys are going to be big-ticket players. And when it's all said and done, they just might wind up going on a long-term injured reserve, right? So um, there's, you know, that's one area that the Lions kind of have to figure out what's going on with those players when their availability uh, will come into play. Because if they're out for, like I said, all the way till October or November, well, then you're going to have to address that issue in free agency or by bringing up some some kids from the States. Um, before we get to the actual Grey Cup preview here, I do want to talk a little bit about what happened in the Eastern final because um, after that loss to Montreal, Toronto seemed borderline gutted at the opportunity that they blow blew. And I knew that Chad Kelly said that it was a nightmare loss and he was like incredibly disappointed uh, based on your sense of like talking to people around the league or maybe even within the Argos organization, how high was the level of disappointment that I, I'll do respect to Montreal. They blew it against Montreal in the, in the Eastern final. Well, uh, I think extremely disappointed. I mean, you're 16 and two, yeah. you've basically been in coast mode for the second half of the season you have the league's most outstanding players. He was awarded last night in Chad Kelly. Um, you've got all this talent. Um, and then you just wind up blowing it against the Montreal Alouettes. But, you know, I have this theory, and I know that other people have talked about it as well, but 
when you're a team that just cakewalks through a season, mm. um, and you know, if I've experienced this firsthand, even I'm sure you might have uh, as well playing soccer, but I mean, when you just cakewalk through a season and then all of a sudden you, you run into a game where there's all this adversity, you don't know how to react. And I think that's what happened with the Argos. I mean, here's a team that just dominated everybody. They get to this critical moment of their season and everything's going sideways. And there, there's no reference point during the course of the year in terms of how to, to get out of this. And I think, you know, you look at Boston last year with the kind of another example. I mean, there's an example a couple of years ago where the Penticton V's like lost three games or four games or whatever it was in the BC Hockey League and they wind up losing in the playoffs. So you've seen it over and over. And I think one of the biggest reasons why is that teams that, like, like I said, that just dominate throughout the course of a season, um, when they run into adversity, it's probably one of the first times that they have. And it's, you know, they, like I said, they have no reference point in terms of how to get out of it. Yeah, it's, it's like that old adage, like the best way to learn how to fight is to get punched in the mouth, right? I mean, it, that way yeah. you've experienced it and you know if you go into a fight having not taken a punch, you're going to be in trouble. And I, it's an interesting phenomenon that, you know, it's funny because so many teams talk about it in this sort of like hushed tones about how they have to be concerned and they have to be prepared and they have to be ready for it. But you're right. If you don't have the adversity dealt upon you, you have you can't fake adversity. You can't manufacture well, it. It has uh, to be organic and it has to happen. This this is like prehistoric times, but it's actually what I played. But it's, uh, it's uh, for me, it's the best example. I was on a Richmond Raider team way back when that we went undefeated in the season. We gave up three touchdowns the entire year. Okay, I think we beat like Okanagan like thirty five fourteen, and then Okanagan beat us like, or we beat Okanagan like whatever it was twenty eight to seven. I mean, we were pounding teams. We beat like Renfrew seventy two nothing. We beat the Lomas like we were just crushing teams fifty, sixty, seventies, eighties. And we played the Regina Rams for what, in all intent and purposes, was a Canadian final at, at Minroo Park in Richmond. They hung 28 on us at the half. Right. We're in the huddle. We're like, what the hell's going on? Like, we had, like, we were all completely, like, rattled, frazzled, whatever you want to call it, because we never experienced it. We gave up three touchdowns the entire year, and here's a team putting up 28 in the half, and we're looking around going, what the hell's happening? You just, you don't know how to react in that instance. And it's funny, because I've talked to other people about it, and, they basically echoed those sentiments, and it's like what you said too, right? You just you don't know what to do. We're speaking to Bob the Moj Marjanovic here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Okay, Moj, the Grey Cup. Everybody is on Winnipeg to win this weekend. Uh, odds makers have them at eight and a half point favorites, which is a big total for a championship game. Uh, is everybody right to be all about the Bombers in this one? Yes and no. Um, the the fact of the matter is everybody looks at that game that Toronto played against Montreal and what, nine turnovers? I highly doubt the Winnipeg Blue Bombers are going to turn over the football nine times. However, if Montreal can get two or three turnovers, which is entirely possible, we've seen Zach Caleros this year be careless sometimes with the football and well, against Montreal. They get through two pick sixes and they still wound up winning that football game. Um, but, you know, that's the key for, Winnipeg, for, pardon me, for Montreal. They need to make some big plays. You know those five plays that they always talk about in the football game that are so important? Um, Montreal has to be uh, on the win column there. They have to be like, you know, four to one or three to two. They're going to need like an explosive play on special teams to give them a short field. Um, maybe an interception or two or a turnover or two or three that gives them a short field and allows them to put points on the board. So. That's the big key for the Alouettes because I don't think they have the offense particularly. I don't think they have the passing game to push the ball downfield. So um, I, I think Cody Fajardo is a good passer, but, you know, with him it's more like the underneath stuff. 
So I'm, I'm pretty sure Winnipeg will take that away and say, okay, you know what, we're going to load up the box, take away stand back, we'll take away your short pass if you're going to beat us, beat us deep. And that's something that I don't think that Montreal is going to be successful at. Okay, Moj, final one. It's Ask Us Anything Friday. We always do food, food and drink-related ones for Moj. But I got to ask, I don't even know this. Are you drink coffee? Are you a coffee guy? Are you, an, are you a non-caffeine dude in the morning? Oh, no, no. I'm, I didn't drink coffee, I don't think, till like I was 35 or 40. And now? And now I can't go, well, <laughs> now I can't go without my Baileys and coffee every morning. No, but I got the, uh, I got the Nespresso machine. So that, and then I just got a regular coffee machine. But yeah, every morning, okay. probably like two or three cups. So this was the question. What's your favorite or preferred way to make coffee? Espresso machine, French press, siphon, upside down. Mike wants to know. So you're an espresso guy? Yeah, uh, but the only thing with the Nespresso, and I like it, I think the coffee that it makes is really, really good, but it's damn expensive. Yes, it is. I, mean, I like, have one as yeah, well. It's, it's like, very expensive. Yeah, it's like 13 bucks for those pods. And meanwhile, you can buy a bag of coffee like, I'd kind of mix and match, to be honest. I mean, there's mornings where I'll have, like, the regular coffee off the machine, and then there's mornings where I'll treat myself and have the Nespresso. But, like I said, the constant is the Baileys. you got to have Baileys with it. It's true. That's a good yeah. way to start every single morning. Moj, mm-hmm. thanks for doing this, buddy. We really appreciate right, it. Uh, no enjoy, enjoy the Great Cup on Sunday. Have yourselves a great weekend. You too. Thanks. That's Bob the Moj Marjanovic here on the Halford & Bruff Show. On Sportsnet 650. Speaking of coffee and non-coffee people, I learned this a little while ago, and I always forget. But then I'm reminded when we come into the studio, Greg, laddie, Greg Ballack is a mm-hmm. non-coffee drinker. You're That's a correct. no coffee guy. You are a I, I, people like you. You people. <laughs> I don't understand how you can function in the morning without caffeine. You know, I don't. I don't hate coffee. I don't rip on people that drink coffee. And and when I do really need a coffee, if I get like two hours of sleep one night for whatever mm-hmm. reason. And I have a coffee. Guess what? It works. It, it kicks in. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I do have tea every once in a while, though. That's, so, I, will, I will have that disclaimer. Um, Isabel Kershirdian, who used to write for the Washington Post on the hockey beat, and then she's doing far more important geopolitical mm-hmm. things. She wrote a great piece one time about NHLers and their coffee because of the weird schedules that hockey players keep. For example, the Canucks, after that win on Wednesday night against the Islanders, they hopped the plane and flew to Calgary, probably get in at 2 o'clock in the morning. So your sleep pattern's all over the place. You have a coffee to wake up in the morning. Then you maybe crash and take a nap. And then you have another coffee at about 4 or 5 to get you going. She interviewed a trainer who said that, you know, for all the uh, advancements that we've made in terms of technology and medicine and food and the FDA and everything about trying to find new stimulants, there is no better natural stimulant on the planet than a good old-fashioned cup of coffee. It's just, it's going to be a staple in the signature, and that's why you see all of these Spoken hockey Spoken like someone who's never injected pure adrenaline before. Come on. I'm just saying, in terms of, <laughs> I, I think the idea was, in terms of ease of consumption, ease of availability, and what the return is on a relatively simple investment, just for those guys, it's just put your cup under the thing, push a button, and out it comes. They coffee is the, like, in terms of, a stimulant. Like for your buck. It's yeah. just it's the perfect thing for guys that wake up from an afternoon nap and have to play a hockey game in a matter of hours. I am very cognizant of the fact that doing this job in the mornings, coming in and have to talk, especially today when there's no co-host, I don't even know if I could get through 20 minutes of radio without a lot of coffee. Now, I mentioned this earlier in the show. You can fly too close to the sun 
on the coffee and mm-hmm. caffeine thing in this particular realm in trying to host a radio show because you do have to be measured and not be flying off the handle in terms of like rapid staccato speech and slurring your words because you're trying to get them out so quickly because you're all full of caffeine. It's pretty funny as someone who doesn't drink coffee, just seeing that like the impact of coffee that coffee drinkers seem to just put on the back. Like they don't realize that caffeine has a pretty big effect on how you react and, and, and just how you feel. And, as a non-coffee drinker, maybe I'm just more uh, cognizant of those things because I don't have that kind of stimulant all the time in the mornings. Mm. But yeah, it's uh, there's definitely drawbacks to that. Like I, I right, I, 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 I can't even imagine a life where I don't have coffee. Well, yeah, in the and, and I, I'm not gonna like get on a soapbox or anything. But I, 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 growing up, I saw parents, you know, at hockey that would drive for our 5 a.m. practices, and without their coffee, you know, they'd be a mess. They'd be yeah. sh- like literally shaking without their caffeine, and like. I didn't want to get to that point, and I don't think if you just drink a coffee a day, that's not, you're not going to get to that point. But I just, I don't know. I just, I feel like I don't need that extra little kick in the morning, even though I probably should because I get up at four thirty <laughs> every every day of my life. Morning. I'm up at four thirty. So, okay. Yeah. Um, so here's what we're going to do over the final hour of this program. I know the seven o'clock hour was light on Canucks Con. We're going to come up with the term for that. CanCon? No, they've already got that coined. Dang it. Anyway, we were light on Canucks content. Uh, We will look back on the Calgary Flames game last night. We will talk about uh, Andre Kuzmenko's health. We will talk about Zadorov, Tanev, and Pedersen coming up next with Rick Dollywall, another Friday regular here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Uh, We will also dive into the Dunbar Lumber text message in basket at 650-650. Text now. You can send us a What We Learned or an Ask Us Anything, hashtag it WWL or AUA. Let us know what you want to talk about. It can be about sports or anything else on the planet. That's all coming up in the final hour of this show. Your job right now is to text in what we learned or ask us anything, and more importantly, keep it on the dial. You're listening to the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650.